Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora everyone, welcome along to Seeds Podcast. This is Stephen Moe, and I'm really glad you could join me, as this time we get to speak with Tony Groves. During our conversation, we talk a lot about his background and origins, his time serving in the military, but we really dive deep into his addiction to alcohol and how he overcame that and what it's meant for the rest of his life. I really enjoyed the transparency with which he spoke and learned a lot from hearing his perspective. If you enjoy this as well, then why not subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating and review, and tell one other person about the show. There's more than 300 other interviews of inspiring Kiwis, and I'm just trying to build up a database of stories, because that's how I think we learn best. Now let's get straight into this interview with Tony. All right, so it's a real pleasure to welcome Tony Groves, who's the founder of Halo. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Yeah, it's great to um, have you on the show, and I'm really looking forward to finding out about some of the training that you provide for people, Mm -hmm. but I'm also really interested in finding out about people's backgrounds. And so in your case, um, we had a little chat before we started recording, yep. so I know a little bit, but I'd love to go back in the time machine to when you're four or five years old. Where were you living and what was life like? I was brought up uh, on a farm, a small farm uh, in southeast Queensland in Australia, mm-hmm. uh, in a place called Langshaw. And yeah, I went to school there and uh, Gympie was my hometown. And yeah, that was basically it. I had a pretty, a pretty good uh, upbringing out of the country, doing all sorts of things. Video games were certainly not something that we had. We were always out and about it in the, in the outdoors. Yeah. yeah. So what, what sort of describe the, because Australia is such a vast place, yeah. you know, like you yeah. go up to the far north and there's like, you know, crocodiles and yeah. swamps and different things. And then yeah. you come down south and then you got the desert over here. And yeah, yeah set the scene for like, what, it, what was the country? What did it look like, I guess? Well, out where we were, it was... Um, quite rainforesty. Um, our, our property actually backed onto the to the state forest and so there's a pine forest and there was also a very tropical or subtropical rainforest type landscape. Okay. Uh, and then as you move back into town, it just opened up into farmland, pastures and, and rolling hills and so forth. Right. Yeah. So lots of moisture and green. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. It rained all the time, floods yeah. all the time. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's an amazing place because I lived for four years in Sydney. Yeah, and the thing that always struck me because I, you know, and you travel on on a plane or something, and you'd fly over, and the desert would just keep going for hours and yeah. hours below yeah. you. But then if you went up north to Darwin or something, it was completely different again. Yeah. So yeah, and it's just completely flat, right? No matter where you look, it yeah. just seems flat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. So um, that sort of, I guess, place that you were like, how many people would there have been in that town? In our little community, so it was just a little rural farming community, there wouldn't have been more than 100 of us, I don't think, in okay. Langshaw itself. Uh, but in the in the town, it was about 30,000 yeah. by memory at that time. Uh, yeah. yeah. But pretty small community where you were then. Yeah, everybody. You, you can't go downtown and not see two dozen people that you don't know. <laughs> You're always going to see the same faces every yeah. day. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, oh, that's great. And so you mentioned the outdoors. That was a big part yep. of your childhood. What yep. what other things interested you? Or uh, At that time, I was really into just, we, we really liked fishing, spear fishing, out, out in the rivers and going swimming and riding horses was a big part of what we did. Um, and just, we just hung out, <laughs> a bunch of local kids just hung out in the bush and 
Yeah, that was basically it. That was what we didn't play touch football or, yeah. 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 And the bush that you're talking about, like that's the rainforest. Yeah, that's side. right. Yeah. 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 We spent a lot of time up there. We're always exploring, looking for new places, finding little cave systems or uh, the hills and yeah, just whatever. We're just exploring all the time as yeah. kids. Yeah. Wow. There's about six to eight of us that li- like our age group that lived in the area. So we used to all ride around on, on motorbikes as well. That was a big part of it on the dirt bikes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. And then coming through sort of in your schooling sort of years, yeah. were, were there subjects that interested you or, yeah, what, what kept you busy then? I wasn't the best student at school, if I'll be honest, but what I, I did really enjoy uh, marine studies, science and English. They were probably my three favorite, favorite okay. subjects. Yeah. yeah. And what attracted you to marine science? Was it that sort of being out in nature side of things or yeah it was well i liked fishing and i was surfing as well all the time so it's kind of just a natural progression for for that group at school and uh there was a lot of things to offer they taught us how to um well we got our boat license we have to have a boat license in australia so as students in grade 11 and 12 you can get your boat license and you learn a lot about the radios and fiberglassing uh, and then the science behind it as well. So, yeah, it was it was pretty interesting. Yeah, it sounds like it. And when you were coming to the end of high school, did you know what you wanted to do next? Or? No, I had no idea. It was, it was in my final year in senior, and it was a friend of mine. Uh, we were just talking about that, the army, the local army reserve unit in town. And we saw a sign that they were recruiting. We thought we'd go down and, and have a look. So we went down one afternoon after after high school and, and they, man, they saw us coming a mile away, two oh, really? 16-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. We walked in and um, said, you know, we'd like to learn a little bit more about what you guys do. And one of the, one of the corporals went out and put a machine gun on the, fl- on, on the floor in front of us and said, you want to pull this apart and put it back together? And, yeah, by the end of the day, we signed the dotted line. But we were both too young to join under our own steam. Yeah. We were 16 and a half at the time. So okay. we had to get our parents' permission. So we went and did that. And I'm pretty sure mum was... More than happy to sign sign the <laughs> bit of paper and get me get me out of there. So, yeah, we did that, and it was only a few months later, and I was on a little white bus heading down to basic training uh, wow. in the Australian Army. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, that is quite young, isn't it? Yeah, really. Yeah. When I think, like yeah. sixteen and a half. Yeah. yeah, I thought I knew everything back then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it turned out that was uh, the first day of eleven years in the Australian Army. Wow. Yeah. So what what's that like? Like obviously, I've never done that myself. You yeah. know, going to basic training. What are your emotions as you're, you know, in the in the bus on the way, and yeah, and then what's it like? Because I think movies portray certain things. Yeah, that's but, right. Yeah, what yeah. was it, your experience? I know it's changed a lot now to what it was back then, but I remember feeling quite excited about the whole thing. Growing up in the country, we weren't, you know, firing guns wasn't new to us, and walking through the bush and. I was pretty excited. It wasn't until we drove into the camp I started to feel really nervous. And then I saw all the instructors out the front waiting for us and you could see they were, I guess in a way, kind of stereotypical to what you'd see in the movies, like right. that, that image driving up. And um, it, was, it was quite a culture shock as well. It wasn't what I expected. Uh-huh. Um, I was pretty used to being quite laid back and easygoing and... That doesn't really work in the military. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and was your friend who'd signed up as well, was, was, were they with you? Or? No, he wasn't. He got pushed back to the next one after mine. So oh. I didn't know anybody wow. down there at all. Yeah. So it was a real culture shock. I lived at home, you know, 
16 and a half years and then all of a sudden I'm on the bus and pulling into the to the camp there and I knew that I'd have to kind of fend for myself for for the most part I didn't know anybody so it was a little bit it was a little bit uncomfortable for me not knowing anybody mm. down there but it was my decision so I was happy to be there all the same and right the first day was quite easy just getting gear issued but the second day is when it really really started I remember uh, they come and woke us up. I think it was about 5, 5.30 by memory. And you had to grab the bottom sheet of your bed to make sure that it was a complete mess, put it over your left-hand shoulder, stand on the parade ground, what they called roll, and after that you had three minutes to make your bed. And it was like with the hospital corners and wow. fold the, you know, the top sheet, I think it was 31 or 33 centimetres over the top blanket. And, yeah, it was, so that was a, a, a pretty... Rude awakening at the time for a sixteen and a half year old. I right. didn't like making my bed at best of times. Now I had to make it really, really well, really, really quickly. Yeah, and getting up that early too probably wasn't normal. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, we 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 did actually get up quite early uh, at home, so that was okay. But the the days were long because I also went to bed reasonably early. But mm. well, I think it was about eleven o'clock was usually lights out, and then up again about five five thirty the next morning. And yeah. And back to it, and then it was it was not a gentle wake up. It yeah. was quite loud and rushed. Right. Yeah. And what are they teaching you in those first few weeks and months? Like, is it discipline? Is that the key thing that they they just because presumably when you're out in a military situation, yeah. you know, yeah. with with fire coming in, yeah. like you need your troops just to be able to obey without questioning, right? Like, is yeah. that part of what they're doing, or well? I think that at that point, they were really working on teamwork and, and self-discipline and also setting high standards for ourselves as well. Even like making the beds, you couldn't really do what they were asking in the time they gave you. You had to buddy up with somebody. So oh, okay. you'd go to the person next to you and you'd help each other make their beds. So you could do it a lot quicker working together. So it was really about teamwork. It was about making health and fitness a routine. So we did a lot of PT every morning, every afternoon. Mm -hmm. um, we did a lot of drill and learning that discipline. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of effort uh, or emphasis on our personal presentation. So short back and sides, haircut, clean shaven every morning, right. um, uniform ironed to a very high standard. And yeah, we, we learned um, things like first aid, uh, land navigation and, and, basic military type mm. type stuff for the army yeah. yeah and you ended up you said you were there for 11 years right so yeah. what what's the sort of cycle because i imagine some people go in and they're there for a shorter yeah period so yeah talk us through like <clears throat> what happened next and well you, you've got two options really i joined the army reserve initially so there's no there's no contract really to uh to army reserve if, if you, you can get out basically whenever you want. Right. But it's when you go to the, to the regular forces that you've got a four-year contract. So I did three years in the Army Reserve and then in 1999 transitioned across to the Australian regular army. And so then my four years started from, from that point. I see. Yeah. So, yeah, most hmm. people, oh, it's hard to say. Some people get out at the four-year mark and others stay in like, yeah. a lot longer. So I was in the regular army for eight years. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And describe, I guess, you know, were you, what what happened next in terms of that being deployed and going overseas? Because when we spoke before we were recording, you were describing some of the yep. things that you 
you know, recent overseas, right? Like, yeah, you know. so I, I joined at the end of 1999, I joined the, the regular army and then went straight into pre-deployment training. And then in year 2000, we deployed to East Timor for six months, patrolling the east-west border. And um, so I was in as a, in an infantry unit that was that was so mm. general uh, combat unit, and yeah, we we'd move around the country. We we in each area of operations, it would be split up into three three parts, and you'd spend two weeks in each of those three parts, and then you'd move somewhere else. So yeah, it was a pretty interesting time there. Yeah, um, you really learn about yourself and. For me personally, what I took away from that was I really learned about, about, I got a lot of life experience about what other people were going, I had a very good upbringing and seeing what the people at a very young age, I think I deployed when I was 21, mm. and seeing <clears throat> seeing what the life was like over there, it really made you reflect back on how lucky we were to live where we did mm. uh, at that time. Yeah. Mm. yeah, there's a lot of lotteries that we win yeah. without even knowing it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was quite fortunate, actually, because when I transferred across to the uh, to the regular army, my mate from high school did the same thing at the same time. And not only did we get posted to the same unit, but we were in the same uh, nine-man section. And then we deployed to East Timor together. Right. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, it was a really, it was a really eye-opening experience working in, in a team that it was a really demanding environment just from... Without the militia at the time, who were causing causing chaos within uh, East Timor, it was just the, the heat, the the weight that we were carrying. Our packs were fifty kilos, just on their own. That's without your weapons and without what's on your chest and around your waist as well. And we were, we were patrolling up uh, mountains. Some of them, you know, might be a four day patrol just up you know, up a mountain. And yeah, it was quite long. The average sleep would have been about four hours a night when you're out in the field and mm. you know you have two uniforms the one you're wearing and one in your pack so if you're out patrolling for two weeks yeah <laughs> there's a particular odor <laughs> after two weeks of patrolling in, in a really tropical humid environment yeah yeah so it was pretty um pretty testing uh, well, you really make some you really form some friendships especially in the army on its own but also when you go overseas it's different again it's a different level and mm. you really get to know each other and then the triggers and then those bonds they they never go away mm. yeah it sounds like particularly if there's nine of you like yeah that's that's like yeah. the band of brothers yeah right? that's like, right <laughs> yeah because presumably at some point there's some dangers that are yeah. coming at you and if you yeah. can't rely on the person standing next to you then you're going to be in trouble right that's right and the one thing about that it's re- it was really interesting because you don't necessarily – some of the people in your section you wouldn't hang out with if you didn't have to work with them every right. day. But the one thing that was different there was it didn't matter how we felt about each other. We we could trust each other and we relied on each other and we could work together without, without you know, that overflowing and interrupting what we were there to do. So that was something that was really – I think it's really unique to the Defence Force mm. is your ability to put your, your personal feelings – towards each other aside and still to be able to work to a very high standard together regardless yeah well there's a lot of lessons there actually when you think about it because sometimes you're in teams and you just want to leave the team yeah that's right <laughs> and, yeah. and in our western individualistic world yeah. you know i'm working for this company but actually i want to i want to leave now because yeah. i'm not enjoying it anymore yeah. or 
I'm part of this group, but I don't like it anymore, so I'm leaving. Yeah, Whereas right. that sort of that discipline of being like, no, we're in it together. There's probably some principles there. Yeah, it was really, it was really, it really changed the way I viewed working as a team, and it had a lot, you know, moving on into the future to do with what we're doing now as well. But <clears throat> there were things like every day after work, we'd still hang out together for for an hour and just talk and and stuff. And then that, even on the weekends. We got, we really got to know each other well, and the wives would come into it as well. And I remember once a month, one of the guys, his wife, would invite us over, and we'd have a big barbecue at his house, and it'd be the whole section. Like we worked together all week, and then we'd hang out, you know, mm. on, on certain weekends as well. So yeah, it was really good. And yeah, there was a friendship side that, that was probably the biggest thing for me. Mm. That learning that you, it doesn't matter what we think about each other, we can get through anything together. We've just got to be able to focus on what needs to be done and put those personal things aside. Mm. But the section I was in was really good. We didn't really have any issues with each other. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting though, like thinking about young men, you yeah. know, like often you are sort of on your own. Yeah. It's not really a community that get develops, particularly like nine men. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> working, right. yeah, You know, yeah, being together. Yeah. I just wonder if there's things that we could learn from that in other parts of life where because um, the reality is that it's it's very often in our culture it's kind of like oh they're a self-made yep. whatever yeah. but the reality is that we actually need to support each other and um, yeah I think in terms of that what the military do really well is they they force us to take our eyes off ourselves and focus on, mm-hmm. on on our team so you're always there helping each other you're always watching out for each other mm-hmm. uh if you've you know if we're about to go out on a on a pack march or on an exercise and training we'd always go and check each other as well hey or my gear's good to go hey hey scott how's your gear mate right. can, can i do anything i'm going to fill some water bottles up you want me to go and do yours you know little things like that yeah. and so that was a, a, a really big part of it but also going through that shared experience going through those really challenging times together and i don't know how many times i'd looking and say man how am i going to i don't think i can get to the end mm. and then but you do every time and we're always helping each other and mm. that shared experience going through those tough times together really creates that bond that's that's where it comes from mm. yeah oh, that's really good and in terms of the the deployment and like yeah. you were out there f- yeah. for a long time yeah. <laughs> yeah did you come across moments of danger you yeah. know where well, I don't know. Yeah. Were there ever times when there's bullets flying or there's an enemy that might be there? Or, yeah, how did you deal with that? And what did that do in terms of like, oh, there's a bit of mortality to my life, yeah. you know, like there's danger imminently. Here. Yeah, yeah. So I think the most notable experience out of that six months was our patrol. We we're actually on a 15-person patrol on the, on this particular day. We went on a patrol uh, down by the border where it was over, only an overnighter and we started to see signs that suggested uh, the enemy were operating in the area and we'd actually stopped for a break. I think we were about 500 or so metres from, from the border and then we hear a single shot ring out and it was directly to our front and then about 30 seconds or a minute later another shot rang out and then a... a an enemy patrol moved towards us. From from the best of my memory, there were, I don't recall exactly, but it was approximately there was twice as many of them as us is what I heard back. But yeah, they um 
we made contact. We challenged them first. Uh, it kind of sounds like something out of an old World War Two movie, but right. the rules of engagement is hold who goes there. Uh-huh. And um, straight away they opened fire. And so that was the first contact. I think it was for everyone on our patrol, actually. Uh-huh. So a contact is what we call a firefight with the enemy. And that was our first contact. And we really, for me, it was quite a surreal experience. It kind of felt just like training. I, I didn't really feel right. that... This is happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I know time was quite slow. I know my senses were really sharp. I could, uh, it was like my sight and my hearing probably increased another 100% of the, at the time. But I remember seeing like, the, the training really did take over and it was an, an interesting experience because different people respond in different ways and it doesn't matter how much you train or how you see yourself, you never know how you're going to perform until it actually happens. So, yeah, that was our... our uh, my first experience in contact uh, was in East Timor, probably about halfway through or towards the end of the deployment. Mm. And it had, had a big impact on me moving forward. And I, I didn't realize at the time how much of an impact that was going to have. Because after the initial firing uh, stopped, they're only about, so the enemy are only about 20 metres to our front, 20, 30 metres. Right. Uh, I think yeah. the closest was about 10, 10, 15. Uh-huh. And um, we ended up following up some a blood trail. Or, like, there was three or four blood trails and we split into teams and and we started following up the blood trails and we went down into a creek line and followed it around. It was a bit like a horseshoe type, type shape. And how it was that each side was really steep on each side and the creek line itself was probably about three or four meters wide and it was just like river river sand and river rock it was quite open and i remember as we come around the corner uh we saw a track where we followed the blood trail and went back up into the bush and i might backtrack a little bit here because it was this was the significant part that had the impact after after the firing went quiet i remember being a typical 20, 21 year old, you know, it's like, I was, I was saying, and I never did anything like this. I was, I always kind of pro, uh, was quite proud to be considered reliable, and that was it. And and when the firing stopped, I sung out to the section commander, "What are we doing? We need to move forward. Let's go and get these guys. Let's move forward." And I kind of, well, it wasn't kind of. I did. I directly challenged him. It was all of our first time in a contact, and here I am. Imagine the pressure that he was already under. And then I challenge him, like, what are we doing? We should be moving forward. He, it didn't really affect him too much. He put me in my place pretty quick, smart, and in a hurry, and, and that was fine. That's exactly what I need. It took about five seconds. And it wasn't really that which was the issue. There was what happened when we when we followed the blood trail around and it, we saw it kind of fish hook up, up the hill into the bush. And what we found was you could see where they'd worked on the casualties, but they also cut... Uh, uh, firing lanes so they were waiting for us to come down and had we have done what we said and i was just you know private they're probably one of the most junior members so i had no authority whatsoever but if in that case if, it, if we had done that what i was saying to the section commander then every one of us would have been killed that day and when i saw those those firing lanes it really it really had an impact on me and yeah then we went about our business and finished the deployment it had it, it had a really significant impact because when i went home we were like all typical young soldiers 
we had eight weeks leave saved up and it's like okay we'll go to the pub and get hammered <laughs> so we did every day basically for eight weeks but the difference between myself and my mates was when we went back to back to work I didn't stop drinking I kept drinking and I drank every day and long story short I realized that I had become an alcoholic well I didn't realize it at the time in retrospect mm. I'd become an alcoholic at 22 years old for five years mm. and it wasn't really because of anything that happened overseas I'm not hundred percent sure what it was a combination of many things i believe mm. but it was really surprising that in just eight weeks because you'd never think something like oh, i'd never become an alcoholic i was extremely fit i was quite healthy and sure was, yeah and, and then just in such a short amount of time there was a real switch yeah, yeah and then everything changed my focus was now about just going to the pub every day as soon as knockoff come i was gone huh. and it changed everything about me as a person it was all centered around that and i absolutely lost purpose and direction uh and motivation mm. i i remember my my mates all moving forward and progressing their career within within the army but i stayed where i was you know? mm. and i think what was really helpful for me at that at that point was and you, you don't hear about this very much in business, is about trusting each other and, and having those bonds where you can have those uncomfortably honest conversations with each other. Mm. And one of my mates, he said to me one day, it was a really uncomfortable, <laughs> honest conversation. He said, you need to have a look at yourself. You're a disgrace. Right. You're an absolute disgrace. And it was the very next day I stopped drinking. Huh. It was, he had such an impact because I really respected the guy for one. And he was right for two. And deep down, I probably knew it, mm. but I needed to hear it from somebody else. Mm. So, yeah, I, I went cold. I actually, I was all the wrong things. I was smoking 30 cigarettes a day and drinking rum every day. I'd actually wake up to a can of rum. That's how I woke up. So really awesome lifestyle. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah, lots of good things will come from that. And... um. Yeah, I stopped smoking and drinking the very next day hmm. at the same time, and it was one of it was absolutely the hardest thing that I'd ever had to do, hmm. regardless of all my experiences before that and later on in life. That was the hardest, hardest thing, and it, it came at a cost. That, that those five years I lost, I damaged a lot of relationships. Like friends were, you know, they'd all moved on, and hmm. everything that I did was really centered around drinking. So, hmm. yeah. I'd, Damage yeah. a lot of friendships and it was... But at the same time, the way I frame it, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Hmm. I certainly not want to repeat it and it's not the way I'd prefer to learn, but that really showed me of so many lessons in it. One was that you can really, if you put your mind to it and you have focus and you've got that purpose, you regain that purpose, you can get through anything. Hmm. And it, talk, it also showed me the importance of when you have those friends that you can have those honest conversations, not only that you can, that you need to have those uncomfortable, honest conversations mm. with each other. And yeah, but you, if you put your mind to it, you can do anything. So mm. that was the way, the way forward from there. So. And do you remember, like, I'm just really curious that yeah. was there a, a moment like this person is giving you 
the honest truth yeah <laughs> and it's a bucket of cold water going yeah. on your head yeah like do you remember the moment going you know what he's right i need to stop drinking i need to stop smoking or yeah how how did it the next morning what happened well when he told me it was extremely unwelcome news right and i told him what i thought about that and then i just went to the pub and got drunk right but it was while i was at the pub i remember i was having a glass of rum and i was reflecting on the moment and i was like he's 100 percent right that everything that he said is right and there was a there was a switch and i went this is not who i am right so i went back and said yep all right hey you're right thank you very much i've got a lot of work to do now mm. so that was that yeah for, for you know for the first four weeks it was man it was hard but after that point I started to get that positive momentum, you know, because every day I was just getting more and more momentum and it's like, there's no way I'm ever going to go back to yeah. being like that again. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, what would be, because there might be people listening now yeah. who are going, well, I can kind of identify with this yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, what would be your encouragement to them or like the, those four weeks? How did you get through it? Any reflections on that? Yeah, I think the most important thing was reestablishing my personal values Mm-hmm. and then purpose i had to have a like a mission to work towards and it had to be really specific mm-hmm. it couldn't be just i'm not going to drink anymore it had to be more than that mm-hmm. so yeah i remember writing down a whole list of things that i set out to achieve as a part of that and that's what kept me straight yeah. and then you know the further you go it actually gets easier because yeah the first four weeks was terrible it was it was terrible but after that you just I've gone through that for four weeks. I don't want that to be for nothing. Mm. I'll just keep moving forward. Because if you... Yeah, four weeks of going... It was hell. So why would I want to ruin it and then have to start again? Or just go back to who I, who I was. Mm. So yeah, that I think having purpose and redefining your values, your personal values is, yeah. is no, the way really, forward. That's really yeah. great. Well, it's, yeah, it's lovely to hear that story and sort of the transition that you yeah. were able to overcome. Because... I can frankly see where the story could have gone a different direction, yeah, right? right? Like yeah. you were headed on a path yeah. that was not not at all healthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm curious because we're sitting here in Christchurch, New Zealand now, yeah. and I know you've got the, the company that you're yeah. doing now, Halo, and yeah. I'd love to find out about that transition from that point that you've described to now yeah. what you're doing today. And yeah, how did that happen? So after 11 years, you know, when I went, after I stopped drinking, everything sort of, became more clear again mm. and I continued moving forward and then until I got to the 11 year mark so 2007 and I decided it's time for a change so I put my discharge in and got out of the army and I remember catching up with a mate just by pure chance and cut a very long story short uh, he was working in a private military company in Iraq and I said hey that sounds good I'm out now I got out it was only a couple of days I think since my discharge and I said, do you think you can get me over there? And he said, no, 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 but if you call this guy, he'll be able to help you. Mm. And then I was picked up by a U.S. private military company, and I spent the next five years in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, on, on a U.S. government contract. Right. Over there. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So it was at that point where the real catalyst came for Halo training. Mm. It was little things like I remember I was a team leader in Afghanistan, and we were in a, a three-vehicle convoy heading north. There's 12 of us, and we got a tip over the radio that the Taliban are moving into an ambush position 300 metres to our front uh, to hit us on the way past. 
And 300 meters, we were already in range of their AK-47s, let alone whatever else they had. Sure. And that there was a real defining moment there because it's one thing to have lots of knowledge about, say, leadership. But what I found was when leadership really counts is when you're under pressure and it doesn't matter how much knowledge you've got, to be able to recall or draw on the information that you need when you need it under pressure was what was really needed so yeah that was the transition you know th- those catalysts it's like it really changed the way i looked at leadership and then after coming home from so i spent five years over in iraq and afghanistan when i came home and got into the civilian workforce i started to see gaps in the training one was the the teamwork was the, the first obvious thing mm-hmm. there was a, a, well, a lot less team orientated and more individual driven because mm-hmm. we've all got our own goals in the civilian workforce and then the other thing was just about uh engaging training and training that was useful for for to get through those situations like i could just briefly describe back there you really needed certain tools like these tangible takeaways these mental models or frameworks three to five steps that when you're overwhelmed and your thoughts start to scatter that you could draw on that to get through the situation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was the transition going uh, from, you know, uh, into where, what I do now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And so why don't you describe a little bit about what you do now? Um, yeah. And the name Halo, like what's that about? Yeah. So Halo training, the name Halo, at the time we were in North Otago and it was high, uh, the, the, the word Halo, H-A-L-O, was high altitude leadership orientation and we chose leadership orientation uh it was really intentional we're not here to tell people how to lead we just help to keep them on track and and heading you know towards that that lifelong journey of personal growth up that upward trend uh but it's also similar to there there's military free fall called halo high altitude low opening so kind of we could see how it all all fit together mm-hmm. and we all draw on it. So Halo Training is professional development. We focus on leadership and we that we focus on the human side of leadership and we specialize in helping leaders grow their ability to, to lead through adversity, through those challenging times. Yeah. And we, we take those lessons learned from the battlefield, like the need to be able to draw the information that we need when we need it mm-hmm. to deal with a certain situation. So that's how we've modeled our, our training. Mm-hmm. It's like the theory where we give just that framework and then the practical application, which is themed off of our background. So it's a little bit of excitement, a little bit of fun, something different mm-hmm. for people. And then we go through the reflection stage where we tie it all together and then post-activity learning. And So you're taking people out of their normal yeah, comfort that's zone right. and, yep. and giving them an experience. Yeah, and it's so it's, I really love it. What, what drives us uh, at Halo is we get people coming up saying, to us, or even he, one guy in particular stands out. He was a, a actually really challenging person on, on the program, mm. but a year later he came back and said how it was life changing. And because of that program, he re, he realised that he had a lot of work to do on himself. So he took anger management course. He took um, a creative writing course so he could learn to better express himself uh, to other people, and it changed his mm. his career as well. Mm. and him as a person because we really focus on before you can lead others you've got to first learn to lead self and yeah so when you get that sort of feedback 
Yeah, and that, people come up to us all the time and just say, you know, that was life-changing. I've never, ever experienced something like that. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. And it just keeps you wanting to do more. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting what you just said as well. I, I often, I talk to lots of young people sometimes, yep. you know, like graduates or, because my background, I'm a lawyer, yep. so I talk with law graduates or whatever. Yep. And, and I'm always trying to tell them, you know, whatever your title is on your business card, yep. like throw it away. Yeah you are a leader yeah. of at least one person yeah, that's right, and that yeah. one person yeah. is you yeah. right and it's just yeah. this basic thing but for some people it's, they've never thought of it that way but if we can lead ourselves well yeah. then we can lead others well right yeah that's right it's about being aware of our own emotions and our behavior and the the things we say and the things we do impact other people and that impact can be negative or it can be positive mm. And when, you know, if you've got a negative impact on people, then nothing good is going to come from that. Mm. So it's all about developing that, that positive influence. Yeah, that's yeah. great. So um, just as an example, mm. you've got a leader who's facing something difficult. Yeah. <laughs> we'll let the listener fill in whatever that is. Yeah. What would be some of the tips or tricks or things that you would advise them? You know, there's adversity in their life. Yeah. Yeah. What, what would be some of the principles that you would say, here's, don't forget this. Well, the first thing I think is there, there seems to be a bit of a stigma that leaders, anyone in a leadership position feels like they can't fail and they have to look after their team mm. at, at the expense of themselves, that they haven't got time to look after themselves. Mm-hmm. But it's a little bit like flying in, in an aircraft. Right? When you put that oxygen mask on, you put, you put your own on first so sure. that you can help other people. And it's really important that as leaders we can say, hey, I need help and I, I need to, you know, do some things to help myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, the, the thing that helps me the most is just developing personal routine. Mm-hmm. I get up early every day. I stretch. I do, do a box breathing routine mm-hmm. just to ground myself before the day starts. And then just by having that routine, it makes it that much easier to navigate no matter what what comes, mm-hmm. comes our way. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, really getting to understand ourselves, our triggers, those negative triggers, and then what we can do to 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 fix that yeah yeah that's really great and you've mentioned a couple times we do this or we do that so there's a group of you yeah that's right doing the training so all of our team are former military members of the intelligence community and law enforcement Mm -hmm. so we take that that life experience or you know from from what we did in our past lives leading leading teams in really dynamic dangerous situations Mm -hmm. that that are relevant to business so yeah so that's what our team is and it's it's great. Every day we're learning from each other. But one of the, we were just talking about this yesterday, actually, uh, or the day before, sorry. Now, one, myself and one of my teammates is every time we do a workshop, we learn so much from the participants mm. ourselves. Mm. There's, a, there's a saying I, I got from a German special forces soldier in Iraq, and the guy was a team leader. Really, he accomplished so much in his career. And what really stood out about this guy is he never lost his temper. He never yelled. Mm. And... Whenever something went wrong, he used to always say the same thing. Every day is a school day. And I never, ever forgot that. Hmm. doesn't matter. You know, as leaders, we never arrive. You, you, you never achieve, hey, I'm there now. Hmm. Every day is a school day. And, hmm. yeah, that was something that really stuck with me was that. So I guess that's the other thing. Every day is a school day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's a great principle. Yeah. It's something echoes something I heard recently um, through the Institute of Directors. I okay. was on a course that they ran. And a guy came in and he you know, he's probably in his seventies, you know, been around for a long time. And what he was imparting his knowledge, I guess, was never stop learning. And if you stop learning, that's 
the moment that you're in trouble. Yeah. So you're constantly having to reinvent yourself. Yeah. So this year, I'll, at the end of this year, I will be different to how I was at the start of. Yeah, that's this, right. You know, like, and in five years, it's going to have changed a lot because I'll have have learned. And then what he was saying is that that the learning never stops, but the teaching never stops as well. Yeah, that's so right. So it's teaching yeah. and learning. So teaching yeah. other people, learning from them, learning yeah. from each other. Like it's all a healthy cycle of yeah. um, learning, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And it doesn't matter how senior we are. Something else that I picked up really early in the military was it doesn't matter how junior someone is. Somebody can come out of you know the school of infantry and just get, you know, they've been with the unit for two weeks mm. and you might have been with the unit for six years. But then you'll see something that, oh, you know what? Maybe I should start doing that. That's a better way of doing it. Does because a lot of times leaders think, you know, I already know the right way or the best way, but mm. you can learn something from everybody. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And I always think a fresh set of eyes. <laughs> like, yeah. we just had somebody new start in my team. We're, we're growing the team. And so that's awesome. And I said to him, like, you bring this new way of looking at how yeah. we do things. Like, yeah. you're going to see ways that we could be more efficient. Please share them. Don't feel like, oh, that must be the way they do stuff because this is this is the value that you're bringing is like yeah, yeah. questioning. Yeah. It's awesome, right? It's, it's that, that external perspective coming in because otherwise we run the risk of creating an echo silo mm. where it's the same voices, the same ideas bouncing around for eternity. Yeah. And when you bring those, especially the junior members, because they've got a completely different way of looking at things mm. and their world picture is a little bit different to ours, right? Because mm. they haven't been you know, institutionalized into this is the way we've done things and yeah. and yeah, our, our own view that they come in with a completely different perspective and there's so much to learn from them. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, I've really enjoyed talking with you and maybe in the show notes so people can click yeah. and they can see websites or anything. So yeah. just send me any material over and we can yeah, um, awesome. add that in there. But yeah, the thing I've enjoyed hearing about you is just I love to hear the whole life story of somebody yeah. rather than just simply, so tell yeah. me about Halo. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's right. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Understanding that background yeah your childhood growing yeah. up the outdoors nature of it yeah. the progression at 16 and a half you know yeah, yeah <laughs> pretty right. young yeah. into the military but then those 11 years and the hard times that it yeah. was as well and then the authenticity of somebody to really push you and say you've got to get this sorted yeah it was <laughs> one then, sentence right <laughs> right yeah. yeah and then what's that led to though because i always think for each of us like we can each speak into each other's lives yeah that's right think of that person and the impact yeah. that they've then had yeah through what you do today you know yeah. indirectly there's been massive impact so, yeah that's right yeah yeah it, i'm just really grateful for the for the whole experience the good and the bad mm. i think the bad is really what makes us who we are right mm. good's good to have but without those challenges mm. you're never going to grow you're never going to improve and for me it was just an in retrospect it was a mission back then but now we see it as a as a it was an, a really great opportunity mm-hmm. to especially learn about myself mm. and also just about how our behavior impacts other people mm. so yeah 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 you know what i actually needed to hear that word today so thank you <laughs> because life for all of us we're always going through things and yeah sometimes you're facing things and you're realizing this is hard <laughs> yeah and it's cultivating that resilience yeah, that's right. Because you're right. When you look back on life, it's probably not the the amazing times you remember yeah, as right. much yeah, as yeah, yeah. the crucible of the fire. Yeah. And then what it taught you, right? Yeah, that's where you really you can really create yourself in those moments. And mm. 
then once you know that and you're aware of it, you just start looking for it all the time. Mm. Like you, you almost welcome those challenges because you really want to perform a certain way. Mm. But then it's really important that how you how you frame failure as well. Mm. That it's not with that negative stigma. We don't set out to fail, but that's what life throws at us all the time. We're all going to fail. It's how we frame that failure and. I think it's really important that we frame it as an opportunity to learn about ourselves and an opportunity to grow so that we continue moving forward bigger, better and stronger than we were before. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Yeah, the tests of character, yeah, that's right? right? Like yeah, that's yeah. the that's the moment. It's not yeah. the it's not the things that everybody sees necessarily. It's the decision that you made when nobody's looking. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and it yeah. and it's hard yeah. to choose that thing. And you know there's going to be negative consequences, but you do it anyway because it's the right thing to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's been a great experience. And what I really like is we just get to share that with other people now. And mm. a part of how I feel about it is for some of the things that I went through, other, why do people have to reinvent the wheel? If I've already been there and I can share that knowledge before it occurs, mm. then that's a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really no appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And we'll put these links in the show notes so people can find out more and, mm -hmm. and seek you out and maybe go out and do some um, resilience training yeah. Yeah. <laughs> out yeah. in the field with yeah. you or your colleagues. So, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Cool. We do hope you enjoyed that interview with Tony. For me, there was lots of things that stood out, and I appreciated his transparency and honesty in sharing about his addiction and how he'd overcome it. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to what we talked about. And don't forget, this is one of 300 interviews, so you might want to check out some of the others in the back catalog as well. Until next time. Mm -hmm.